The Mojo Radio Show. We scour the planet to find the biggest names in health, creativity, wellness, strategy, brand, performance, management, and more. Turn this up. This is going to be crazy. This is Jason Overcome Redman. Hey, I'm Dave Acosta. Hi, this is Cal Newport, author of Deep Work. G'day, this is Ryan Park. I'm Batman. This is Ivan Davies from My Town. I'm Andrea Burke from the Canadian National Women's Rugby Team. I'm Lucas Feetendee. This is Tate Fletcher, Cage Fighter. This is the Mojo Radio Show, where I'll be coming to see you. Then we ask them the big questions. Oh, man, this is such a great question. You've actually landed right on the mark. That's a, another really good question. It's great talking to some clever dudes, frankly. I've gone probably a little bit more in-depth with you than, uh, than I have in the book. I've done, like, 500 interviews, but nobody asked me about this. <laughs> oh, wow. And sometimes we talk about darts. There we go. Can I tell you, Dina, Gary's favourite sport is darts. How athletic is that? I think it's uh, interesting that it's your favourite, but I won't be judgmental. (laughs) Look, it's the only sport that I know of where a prerequisite is a pint of beer and a cigarette. Come on, let's be honest. The Mojo Radio Show. We don't take ourselves too seriously. So you try throwing half a dozen darts in a row and just see how you go, Uh, my friend. But we hope you will. Welcome. I got my book. To the Mojo Radio Show. Hey everybody and welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have you in the house. Another great show ahead and how quickly the season's passed. We're well into season seven. Some almost 270 shows in the can and coming up some more outstanding guests including Patty McCord who was the first employee ever at Netflix and basically with the founder, Reed Hastings, built the now-famous Culture Deck, which you can find online for Netflix. Travis Mills, an incredible guy. He's a combat vet who was viciously injured at war by an IED, is coming up. Sports psychologist to many NBA stars like Kevin Durant, Alan Stein Jr. will be here. Digital market expert Daniel Rolls has agreed to come on. And our two good mates, Ryan Munsey and Logan Gelbrick. Now, you may remember Logan. He's the guy who runs Deuce Gym in LA, and he's the author of Going Right, one of our favorite books. And Ryan Munsey, who's the host of The Better Human Project, they'll be on together, a big double header. Both former guests, and i got to say that show will be wall-to-wall gold. So it's fair to say we've had a good run to Season 7, and the foot is flat to the floor in the big red bus. Welcome aboard. Mind your step. Pass your tickets to the portly porter. Robbo, are we gassed up, as they say in the business? The needle's pointing to F. I think that means full, so we should probably get going. Hey, a quick one. Uh, from the Facebook pages, uh, we had a comment from JB, a bit of a super fan of the show, Jeremy Bree. Uh, he commented on the the uh, Jen Pasteloff episode. He wrote this, and I thought this was really nice. He says, the concept of the internal bullshit story about not being good enough is something that we talk to our kids about frequently, not to put them onto a pedestal and to tell them that they are the best, but to reinforce that they are capable and have the opportunities if they give it a crack. Unfortunately, there are so many mediums, social media, advertising, becoming a teenager, that can set unrealistic expectations and help to lower our self-worth. This interview, again, was top-notch and with some great deep questions and Jen has an amazing story to share. So, JB, I think you are amazing. Do you know, it's interesting. You could almost do a show just based on observations and feedback and changes that listeners have made. Because you listen to a podcast and it's all about, well, in a lot of cases, sadly, it's all about the host, but it really should be about the special guest. But isn't it nice to hear 
guys, and we've talked about this before, but guys who actually take note of what has been said on the show, curated learnings, then thought about it, thought about the application, and then by him writing to us, it reaffirms his own learnings and the learnings he take from the show. So it's really interesting. You don't hear that talked about a lot, but that's actually quite a profound way of embedding your own learnings because you hear it, you curate it, you take it out, you think about it, you implement it, and then writing to somebody else to say either thanks or here's a thought, you actually ask the six times rule. So uh, the Brewster, I think that's uh, I think that's gold. Yep, JB, nice work. Robbo's Remarkable Facts. About time. Let's go. Uh, beer goggles. We all know what they are, right? <laughs> Highbrow this one this week. That's very, that's very, that's very our show. <laughs> well, I figured that. There's actually been a study into beer goggles. Uh, researchers at Edge Hill University in Lancashire, England, recently, surprisingly enough, recently got 80 students drunk. <laughs> I don't know whether they had to do too much work to do that. But they asked them to perform a simple task on a computer while trying to ignore images of human faces. So... While they were, you know, doing some simple mathematics or whatever, they had faces of good-looking, ugly, older, younger people popping up. So while they found that both the drunk students and their sober counterparts found the task harder to complete when they were presented with an image of an attractive face, the drunk students were also distracted by the less attractive faces. But here's the thing, they weren't actually that drunk. In fact, researchers have said that the hornier students were only mildly intoxicated. So it clearly doesn't take a lot to alter our judgment, but um, might explain a few of the dates I took home when I was younger. I'm not sure how that adds any value to any of the show, <laughs> I just but I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure there are lots of people out there who are saying, I'm going to test that research. I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who are nodding their heads going, hmm, hmm. Been there, done that. And it also makes me think that AP wears beer goggles because I've heard him say to you, I love you, mate. You're beautiful, mate. <laughs> You're a handsome bloke. The Mojo Radio Show. Our guest this week is a returning victim to the show. I like this guy. His name is Ryan Hawke. He's the host of the Learning Leader Show. This is a podcast with millions of listeners in more than 150 countries. We can only dream about that. And the author of a brand new book called Welcome to Management, How to Grow from Top Performer to Excellent Leader. I've read the book. I really enjoyed it. And I think it is one of the few books that holistically looks at that journey from, okay, you've been put into a leader position. I'm used to being in management. What's the transition? Ryan's a a lifelong student of leadership. And anybody who's listened to his show will know that he's a former professional quarterback at the NFL. And today his show, which is also kind of what he talks about in the book, is he looks for the commonalities of sustaining excellence at the people who are the thought leaders in leadership around the world. And he works with teams and players, the NFL, the NBA, and he draws upon in the book his own experiences, but then he gets it backed up by actual evidence and then expert insights from all the people he interviews on the show and for the book. And the idea is to inspire us to be better at what we do and to be able to sustain that. So it's with great delight we welcome you back to the Mojo Radio Show. Ryan Hawke, welcome, mate. Uh, you guys know when uh, you reached out, we were connecting uh, 
I was really looking forward to coming back on and talking with you guys. So thanks for having me back. I, I guess I was good enough to, to, to make the cut to come back for, for another time. There's the highlight of this episode. <laughs> thanks for coming along. It's great. <laughs> the fact you came back, that's our highlight. But so, do you know what's interesting, Ryan? And I've been following your work for a long time. And something occurs to me as a thread through your work that on the Learning Leader podcast, your book, which I've read, through all the stuff you've done, all the people you've spoken to, the highest profiled leaders in the world, you still talk about leadership lessons that came from your dad. And this is a guy who ran a thousand person organization. But you, after all those people, you still, it seems that the person you admired the most in leadership is your dad. Take me, take me to a piece of advice that you recall. If I said, what's that nugget your dad gave you that to this day you still live by? What would it be? Um, I think, you know, it's important. Uh, and as you age or mature, this happens more, or at least for me, it, it has, that you try to reflect and understand how lucky um, that you are. And I've really understood that well. And it starts with my my upbringing, you know, I was, I was born to two incredible parents, my mom and my dad. And you know, one of the, the stories I, I remember that happened frequently and it wasn't him ever preaching or telling us, it was just how he behaved. And he led, as you mentioned, a thousand person sales force for decades, uh, successfully, uh, that, um, you know, when, when I went to this retirement party, just to see the, 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 the number of people that showed up and, and the adulation from him was incredible. But one of the cooler uh, stories I think that has left an impact on me is oftentimes he would get phone calls at night. Um, and this was before cell phones. So, uh, I would answer the phone and I would hear, um, a familiar voice from someone that I know works for him, a senior level leader, leader so someone who's got a, a, a VP title. And that person would say, hey, uh, Ryan, it's good to talk to you, but can I, can I talk with your dad? I need some help. And I'd say, sure. And I'd give him the phone and I would watch my dad listen to this person and, and not necessarily say a lot. He would wait. He would be patient. He would listen. And he would always offer, uh, he'd ask some questions uh, and then he'd offer some some bits of advice to to help them based upon what they were dealing with. And uh, then he would hang up the phone and I would say, what was that all about? And he would describe the the person and, and what they were dealing with, um, whether it was a personal issue or an issue uh, at work. And oftentimes these, these grown men uh, were crying on the phone to him because they were, uh, things were tough and he would just calmly listen and respond and try to help them. And then he would just go about his day. He wouldn't make a big deal about it. He wouldn't brag. He wouldn't say, look at all these people calling me. That was just his natural way to behave was to serve and be there for the people that he led. And that's a that's just an incredible example to have in your house. And I think just the one other part, and it's made me a better husband and a dad, is that anytime my brothers or I would ask him to uh, rebound us shooting free throws to catch passes in the in the backyard to take us to the batting cages to play baseball at any time any day no matter what the answer was always yes and he told me part of your job as a leader part of your job as a husband part of your job as a dad is you got to show up 
your presence is required. And that's part of the deal. If you want to lead, this is part of what you're signing up for. And uh, I've just never really forgotten that and, and tried to try my best to live up to that fully knowing that it's, it's not really possible, but I, I still will try my best forever and also realize just the good fortune and luck that I've had in my life to have that person uh, uh, be, be there for me uh, and still is to this day on a daily basis. We were just literally uh, emailing right before you and I uh, connected on, on Skype here. I want to continue this conversation with your dad and showing up. Uh, you've got a new book, which we'll talk about in a second. A piece from the book that I want to just read to you and I want your thoughts as to how this is being applied in your own world. There was a piece that said your younger brother, AJ, played nine seasons for the Packers. During every year of AJ's time in the Green Bay Packers, my dad spent the week of his birthday attending these August training camp practices. Most fans make the effort to arrive early at Ray Nitschke Field. That's right. In order to get a good seat for the entertaining full-team scrimmage near the end of practice. Not my dad. He always arrived early for another reason. He was fascinated by the first 45 minutes of the afternoon sessions, what is called the walkthrough. At the beginning of every practice, these big, fast, incredibly strong, world-class athletes spent 45 minutes rehearsing their techniques and fundamentals. They focus on the smallest details every single day and they do it individually. Tell me, tell me how that's translated into your world. Uh, I, I like to live by the adage that how you do anything is how you do everything. And that's been around for a while, but that, that is something I believe in. Um, m- m- my dad, I think, was fascinated with watching world-class performers practice their craft and appreciate the fundamentals. Uh, it all starts with the smallest of details and the fundamentals of what you're doing. My dad worked in the profession of selling, and so he he loved being able to either conduct or watch other people training for their particular task, practicing for that sales call they were going on. He would often go in the field with his the people that worked for him, and they would ride in the car on the way to that the, the the sales call for that day, and they would practice and rehearse and role play and do mock calls. And something I implemented when I became a manager was doing uh, was being known as a team that practiced, being known as a team that cared deeply about fundamentals. Um, and uh, I, again, we, we I, I, in my football background, we did the same. We had walkthroughs before every practice to to make sure we were understanding our fundamentals. But it, it's still pretty amazing to see a team that would go on to win the Super Bowl, the ultimate trophy in American sports, that they still were spending an amazing amount of time on a daily basis focused on the angle of a particular step so that when they got on the field, it was just instinctual. They wouldn't even have to think. They would just react. And their response to that movement was uh, so built through muscle memory and the fundamental practice of, of walking through, uh, I think that applies to all areas of life. You want to be a great speaker on stage, you better practice. You want to write a great book, you better write every single day, right? You want to be a great podcaster, ask good questions, <laughs> do it a lot and study the greats, right? There, there's so much application from from the athletic fields to to the to the world outside of 
the fields that uh, I've been fortunate to get a chance to view with a with a um, being front and center, either watching in, in the case of, of my brother's teams or playing uh, on my own teams. And, and that's been really beneficial uh, for me. Your dad also taught you, Ryan, he had an interesting saying is that it's harder when you care. Tell me, tell me your feelings on that. How, how, how do you see that? Well, we were actually having a writing session. Um, he, he helped me. Uh, I would sit in a room and he would throw prompts at me and then I would I would write down thoughts and ideas and and I'm a prompt driven writer meaning I love uh, Q and A's I love um, uh, when some a smart person can offer me thoughts or ideas to write about so uh, he just said it in passing one day when we were having a writing session for my book and 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 he, and he said remember it's a lot harder when you care and then he kept talking and I said wait what was that what did you say and he said what and I said the beginning what did you say he says. What's well, a lot harder when you care? I said, "What do you What do you mean?" And, and he goes, "Well, it's it's just easier in life if you don't care, right? If you don't actually care about the people on your team, you won't spend as much time getting to know them. You won't you just won't invest as much time, and that's a little bit easier to not spend as much time. Now, it's not as rewarding, it's not as fulfilling, it's not as fun, it's not as enjoyable, but it is a little bit easier. So think about anything in your life that you care about deeply." Right, care about deeply. I care about my country and the fires ablaze. So what do I do? I go have overnights and do everything I can to to help with that situation, to help mitigate that. That's a lot harder. It's a lot harder when you care. And and I think that was the advice that I got from him that was so helpful that it was uh, uh, t- to me that I, I think about that before any big endeavor I'm going to sign up. If I want this book to be excellent, it is a lot harder if I care deeply about it being excellent than if I'm just like, yeah, I just want to get a book out, right? And so that 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 thing to me, though, is a signal. Let's only work on projects and with people that we care about. Let's let's try to set up an environment where we do the hard stuff on a regular basis because we care so much. It's really interesting, you know, when, when you follow someone's show, and I'll listen to a lot of your shows for many, many years, which is why we hooked up. But invariably, people, I think, respect, or I know they respect the amount of work you actually put in. People talk about, oh, I did my research, which was I looked at the index page of your book and now tell me about your book. You actually do a lot of work and go to a lot of effort. So it's 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 actually refreshing to sort of hear some wisdom that your old man dropped, but then to know that over a long period of time you've actually put that into work and other people are recognizing it. And the other the other person you've said influenced you was a coach from your football days, was Coach Ron Ullery. Mm-hmm. And you said that he was the coach who built your character. What what parts of his character did Coach Ulrey build when you reflect? I really learned how to work because of Coach Ulrey. Um, first of all, he's he's the most demanding coach I've ever had, and he believed in me more than I believed in myself. And he believed that I could perform at levels higher than I thought I could do. And he pushed me to get that out of me. And uh, so I learned the value of amazing preparation, of of building a mindset of almost feeling invincible because you were so prepared. We played games in the fall, and uh, all of our preparation, though, took place in January, March, super early mornings in June, July, and August. The most 
conditioned team, the team that had practiced the most, that when we got on the field, we might be playing against someone that was more talented than us, but no one would out-execute us. No one would be in better shape than us. No one would have practiced more than us. And I think that I, I, I've taken that work ethic that was developed because of those great coaches and coach Bob, Greg, and Ron all the two main ones that, that they, that got embedded into my system to say, this is the way that we operate. If you care, if you care about excellence and you care about the tradition that was set here, this is how we're going to operate on a daily basis. This is how we work. This is how we prepare, right? And he was always the most prepared person in the building, most prepared person on the field. And it, it gave me an amazing amount of confidence when I saw how hard my leader, my coach worked. And so I tried to embody similar traits and behaviors as him because I wanted to be the type of leader that others looked at to say, I feel confident to commit to that person, right? I want to help people build committed teams. That's one of the missions of my podcast and my book. And again, I was very lucky to be in a school system and play for a coach like him in my formative years when I was really uh, 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 shaping my character and my work ethic and my understanding of how to live a life of excellence. All of that was happening at, the, at that time. And, and, and again, fortunate that I was placed in front of a, a couple of incredible leaders to help me do it. It's, it's interesting, Ryan. I reckon we get more, one of the most successful shows as a topic that we do is around resilience, mental toughness, bouncing back, handling the imposter syndrome. It seems to be that that's, that's something that a lot of us are facing and we, we can't get enough of in terms of trying to navigate that part. What did Coach Ulrey teach you personally about mental toughness, resilience, handling hard times that he taught you back then that you still call upon today? Well, first of all, he made the practices harder than the games. So you can, you can apply that in regular life. That's why we're so big on training and practicing so that when it comes time to do it for real. So if you're in a sales organization, you're going to practice uh, and train so much that when it comes time to do it for real, you've already done it so much and it's actually can be easier. So practices were always harder than our games. It was tougher to get through a practice than to play a game. So that was one. Two, it's having a mindset knowing that you're going to get knocked down. This is one of the great things about sports. You're physically going to get knocked down. Occasionally, you will lose a game. And it's not necessarily about that happening because it's going to happen if you choose to play long enough. What it's really about is how you choose to respond. And I learned how to respond to tough moments during those four years playing with those great coaches with, with incredible teammates was, okay, it's inevitable that it's going to happen. I'm not a cynic. And I'm not, I'm not believing that things are going to go bad. However, I am prepared if they do. I'm prepared to respond if I do get knocked down. As the leader, especially I played quarterback, so if I'm in the huddle and something bad has happened, there are 10 other sets of eyes looking directly into mine saying, I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder how he's going to respond. And they're going to follow that person. If that person loses their mind and emotion and flips out, the rest of the team will do the same. But if that person has some moxie, they're composed, right? A more measured response. And they say, look, we know what happened. 
And here's how we're going to respond. Here's what we're about to do. Here's what we need to focus on. Remember our fundamentals. Remember how prepared we are. Here's the play. Let's execute each of our 11 jobs and go do what we're supposed to do. The score will take care of itself. And having that type of experience um, from great coaches, again, has helped me for the rest of, of what I've done in leadership in my life. We hear a lot of people talk about the attributes of great leadership. And one of the questions that you've become very well known for in being interviewed and doing interviews is the question you ask about how great leaders sustain excellence. Let me flip that around. With all the work you've done now on studying great leaders, what are the three, what are the three things great leaders don't do? Like we hear a lot about the things they do do from your perspective, studying these people, speaking with them, spending time with them, what are the main attributes that great leaders don't do to sustain excellence? <laughs> well, uh, I would say first and foremost, um, they think it's about them. Uh, the reason that you choose to be a leader is because you care to see other people succeed. And so if, if first and foremost, you believe that it's about you because of you and your title or your position. Um, I've I've worked with those types of leaders. That does not go well long term, right? So I, I think first and foremost that it, that it's about them. Um, I, I have also worked for leaders and been around ones that think they've figured it all out. Uh, they've got all the answers. They have nothing left to learn. I was recently actually giving a keynote speech, and it was fascinating to me. In the first few rows, there were senior level leaders. And when I, when I analyze, and I spoke with other people sitting behind them as well, both before and after the speech, when I analyzed the leaders, I couldn't help but notice the ones who were taking diligent, detailed notes, leaning forward, and ones who were too smart to take notes. They'd already figured everything out, right? They, they weren't curious at all. They were just putting in their time because they had to sit through another talk. And... I, I think that is another mistake that some leaders get because of their title or their position and because maybe other people have sucked up to them based upon that title. They feel like they've got it figured out and there's nothing more to learn. Obviously, you could imagine that I would have issues with some with leaders who don't choose to regularly feel like they can learn. Uh, I believe leaders leaders are always uh, have more to learn, certainly. Um, and, and I guess I, I would say uh, I I think ego can be a big problem and some of these all run together, but ego can be a huge problem. I, I really admire a leader who has risen the ranks, who has uh, big responsibility, yet they are still humble. They still don't, they don't use I and they, they use we. Um, I, I really value that in someone. And again, sometimes if you get to, to that role with the big title and people are so deferential to you, you start believing that you are uh, more important than other people. And I've always said, I'm going to treat the CEO and the janitor exactly the same because all three of us, we're just people, right? We have to put on our pants and our shirt. We make mistakes. We are stupid sometimes and we're smart other times. And I want to be the, I want to treat them both exactly the same. And, and, and sometimes you'll see leaders who uh, develop an ego based upon some of how certain people treat them. And that could be a recipe for disaster. So 
Robbo is sitting here in the studio with no pants on. Would you treat him the same as a janitor everybody else? Does that does the pants thing does that really have an imp- impact here? <laughs> Maybe you guys are wearing shorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Gary's wearing Bermuda shorts, but you know Bermudas. that's okay. Oh, the Bermuda at season seven highlights. <laughs> it's cold Bermuda. here, Ron. Yeah. I'm in a, I'm in Ohio. It's 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 pretty cold <laughs> here. You guys are streakage. Yeah. Unfortunately nice. for Gary, it's the pith helmet that doesn't go with the <laughs> yeah. shorts. But you know, we'll let him go on that one. <laughs> the Bermuda. <laughs> Mojo Radio Show Bermuda Shorts Season 7 Giveaway. That's good. I reckon, yeah, yeah. Uh, With a tea towel. Speaking of shorts, and here, here's an off-ramp, and here I'm going to bring this all together. Uh, at the end of Season 6, Ryan, we interviewed James Clear, author of Atomic Habits, live on the promenade at Bondi Beach, which was legit. <laughs> nice. Well, when are you coming? Yeah, I'm just gonna say, I think it's fair, Robert. We invite Ryan down to us. Can we work this out now? Can we? Can we? Can we pause for a second and get something worked out? I would love to. I know James had, was on his world tour last year because his book was crushing <laughs> it so bad. But I would love to to figure out a way to make this happen. Anyway, go ahead. So when you when you do come down, this open invitation, we will because we've now bought ourselves thanks to Athletic Greens an outdoor broadcast setup. We will record with you on the promenade at Bondi Beach, right next to the Bondi Lifesaving Tower. So that, that's a given. So during that show, just before the shark alarm went off, James said to us, we do not rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. And what's a, what's a daily system for you that's critically important as part of your personal leadership do you have a system that you it's a non-negotiable you always fall back to well from a routine perspective i love that quote um from a routine perspective uh the system that i put in place does start very early in the morning so i i am a a pretty early riser based upon my family uh, setup i like to wake up before everybody else does so that I can, um, a few of the things that I like to do early morning is to stretch. I love the feeling of stretching my body physically, getting ready, uh, hydrating, drinking, uh, journaling, and reading, and then working out. Uh, that puts me in the right frame of mind for the rest of the day. So the systems I have, I do think pushing myself physically um, helps me mentally. Uh, it helps me actually be more creative. Uh, I take a lot of notes while I, I cool down after the workout on an elliptical. And part of I, I actually wrote small sections of my book on my phone uh, after a workout when I feel like my brain is really, uh, I think, moving in the right direction because that that lights me up. Uh, physical movement lights me up, makes me feel good, uh, energizes me. So I would say that's a big part of the systems I have in place. And then I have to identify what is most important for me. Um, and I, I always remember like when I have a lot of different things going on, whether I'm getting ready to give keynote speeches or uh, different projects or, or people want to meet for whatever reason, I have to remember that the reason all of this exists is because I've, I've, I've published a podcast that has helped other people be, be more effective leaders for five years and done that consistently every Sunday night, uh, seven o'clock Eastern time, uh, here in the States. Uh, well it's worldwide, but that's when it, that's the time, uh, that it releases. And, uh, so that consistency combined with high quality is very important. So a lot of my actions 
are built upon preparation for the next show, learning as much as possible about that person, studying other great interviewers, watching what they do, watching, uh, uh, deconstructing why they ask what they ask, being becoming a better listener, asking good follow up questions. Right? That is all. Those are all part of the systems which then has created this business for me that I I try to keep in place and. Um, I think that is that has been helpful to understand the importance of consistency uh, in my life, and and it seems to have resonated with with the audience that now of people who listen to the show as well as are are wanting to support me as I as I shift some work to a new medium, which is that of a book. And uh, during the book writing phase, you know, I had a calendar and accountability partner, and every single day I had to put a number into how many words I wrote that day. And that system of knowing that my accountability partner was going to look at that calendar, a shared calendar we had, and say, uh, "Why did you not hit the 500 word count?" We both agreed that that's what you would do uh, for the for these for the next four months, which is was part of the process. Um, that. That really drove me. I don't know, like something weird about having somebody that you feel accountable to and putting it out there um, really impacted me. So I, you know, I think you have to figure out what works for you, what system really drives your behavior, and then setting up the environment for you to be successful. And and that that is those are some things that works uh, that that worked in the past and currently work for me. I'm going to take a little off ramp here just for a second. Isn't it fascinating, Ryan, that some people need an accountability coach. Other people are so accountable to themselves. That's the most important thing. I, I find that that somewhere in there is a gray area where people are not getting things done. They need an accountability coach, but other people hold themselves accountable, like a, a jocko or a life or whoever, when you look at those people. I think that's a really interesting topic. Uh, I, I agree. Um... I think both can work depending on, again, it's, it's, it's part of, I think, understanding yourself and self-awareness. And I think that's why it, if you look at like, even how I structure my book, now that I think about it, the the first, the whole entire first section is about, it has nothing to do with leading other people. It's about leading yourself. And so part of that is understanding yourself, understanding what you're all about, understanding how to design the proper environment for you to succeed. Uh, and that's, that's a lot of work, man. That's a lot of reflection. That's a lot of, uh, asking for advice from people who are close to you. Uh, that is, that is a lot of work to, to understand your makeup, what you're about, how you can get the most out of yourself. And I would love to say, I don't need any help. I don't need anybody else. But when I think about the most successful times in my life, I was surrounded by people who were helping me. And I was, I was willing to ask for their help and then take their advice. And so for me, I, I believe uh, I've learned over time that uh, understanding my, my little personal board of advisors, those handful of people who are there to offer me feedback and guidance, um, help, and sometimes accountability uh, can be very, really valuable, really valuable for me. And so that's why it's, that, then it's on me to put the proper system in place after I understand that to then go and execute on it. On that, Socrates, or as we know him, Socrates, big fan of the show. Uh, Socrates <laughs> said, to move the world, we must first move ourselves. So to move the world, we must first move ourselves, which is, to your point, to be a great leader, we first must lead ourselves. 
with with the excuses we give ourselves, with the narrative that finds the easy way out or the reasons why it's someone else's responsibility, someone else's problems, the reason is based on somebody else. How do I know I'm leading myself, Ryan? So when you talk about first leading yourself, how do I know I'm doing that well? Uh, this is the part where I think it's critical to have, to create, this is what, uh, this has been talked about on my show, but to create your personal mentor board of advisors. So that's MBA. So it's a different type of an MBA, right? You have a master's of business administration, which is a graduate degree. But I, I think you also need to establish your personal MBA, your, your mentor board of association. So, so who are those people that you can go to that they're basically, they basically, basically play the role of a mirror for you. They're willing to tell you the brutal truth to let you know what you did well, what you didn't, why, what needs to change, or what you should keep doing. I love the exercise. I did this with teams when I led them called a start, stop, continue exercise. What do we need to start doing? What should we stop doing? What, what should we continue doing? And for me, the, those, 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 that small group of people who can be my personal board of advisors, those are the ones that help me understand myself. They, they develop the self-awareness for me because they they play the role of a mirror for me to let me know, hey man, like that, you, I think you thought that was good. It was not good and here's why. And so, <laughs> and, and so like whether they, I bring them to a speech, which I oftentimes do, or I'll show them the video of a speech, uh, or I'll, I'll email them and say, will you listen to this specific episode for these 15 minutes? Um, I thought it was good. Can you tell me what you think? Or I won't tell them anything. Can you just listen to th this 40 minutes of this episode and, and give me your really critical feedback? Now, the, the, the most important part about this, though, are the people that you choose. Are those people willing to be brutally honest with you? And have they accomplished what you want to accomplish? Are, are, are they someone that are, that they're worth listening to? Cause believe me, and you guys probably feel this too. You will get feedback from people who are certainly not worth listening to. Um, and so it's distinguishing the difference between the people who, who I am choosing to place in my life and ask for their help and their assistance versus the ones who may just be chirping from the sidelines that are, haven't actually done anything, but they, 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 they want to potentially, you know, uh, be, be critical for, for whatever reason. Uh, it, it's blocking some of that out as well as being intentional about the people you surround yourself with to, to provide you with honest feedback. You know, it's funny. If I take us back to the head of the show, back to your old man, your dad, I've heard you say that he suggested or recommended to you get the who right yes. first. Yep. And it's ironic that you, you hear it from perhaps parents going through. When you, when you think back to the point you've just made with the fact that your dad told you that that many years ago. Do you remember being a kid? Did you listen back then? Did you take it all in? Or was it like, yeah, yeah, dad. And then you've heard it now from great leaders like Stan McChrystal to go, oh, actually, maybe he was right. Yeah, I was I was like most kids. Uh, immature, did not listen. Uh, all I cared about was playing sports. That's all I really cared about. I, w I was happy that my dad would, would never say no when we wanted to play sports. So did I listen? No. I did get to see it. So that was helpful. Even if I didn't really reflect on it and think about it. I do now, but, but I didn't, I didn't really think about it at the time. I just, 
really just wanted to, to, to play. Um, and, uh, but now I look back and, and it's, it's, it, you know, a lot of, a lot of people talk about that. Your kids won't fully appreciate you until they're like 27. And, uh, that's hard sometimes as a parent, like I want them to appreciate, appreciate me now. I mean, you know, we have uh, an 11 year old, like, well, she's not really going to fully appreciate, appreciate us until she's 27, you know, and it's, but that still doesn't mean you don't try and do the right thing. So no, I, I would say, um, but you know what my parents are both good at though? They weren't real preachy with us. They weren't real over the top with this. They just behaved in a way they modeled the proper behavior, I would say. And that that's really helpful. I mean, as a leader, I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Modeling the proper behavior, do as I do. And I think that's, that's what they showed for us. And then as we thought back, like, Oh, they were helpful. I remember when I, right when I got to high school and my first game as a freshman, they started writing stories about me in the paper. It was a big deal. You know, I'd never been written about in the newspaper before and put, put a picture on the front page and all this is happening about some of the success I was having. I was only 14, 15 years old. And my dad said, listen, you know, over the course of your career, since you've chosen to do something in the public eye, people are going to uh, they're going to talk kindly about you publicly. And when you play bad, they're going to speak negatively about you. It is your job not to get too high or too low based on what other people say, right? Stay consistent, work, do what you're supposed to do. Listen to your coaches, be a good teammate. And that type of the little bits that would pop up every now and again was really helpful and memorable for us as we went on to have, um, pretty good high school careers and into college and, and after college. You seem to be a very intentional guy, Ron. You seem to have thought this through, curated it, tried it, experimented. You seem, is intentionality a core value for you? <laughs> it's it's like one of the two. Uh, the first one being th- uh, thoughtfulness. You know, and, and I would say if you were to ask me what have I found to be some of the commonalities of leaders who sustain excellence, they're first incredibly thoughtful about what they do, but then, but then even perhaps more importantly, is that their actions, they are very intentional. They don't haphazardly wander through life. Uh, They think about life. They think about what's important. They think about what they're going to do, and then they go and do it with intention, right? We are going, for example, uh, we talked about having a book book launch party, okay, coming up here for my book coming out. And someone's like, oh, let's just have some, you know, a little small thing here. We can do this. I go, listen, we're either going to do it or we're not going to do it. We're not going to do the 75%er though. We're not doing the 75%. We're doing it or we're not. And for me, that's kind of everything. If we're going to do it, we're going to do it. Like writing a book, someone said, well, just you know, you can just go publish a quick one on Amazon. No, that's not how I do things. I'm either going to do it and go full go, the whole route of writing a book and, and, and writing the proposal and getting a book deal and, and the advance and everything, or I'm not going to do it. And I've learned through through my show, intentionality is critical. If you're going to do a podcast, then do a podcast, right? Have a uh, buy a good microphone, right? Good, get people to help you. Do whatever you can to make it as good as it can possibly be for you. Uh, so I, I just think intentionality is critical for sustaining excellence. And I've certainly learned that through the people I've spoken to on my show. Memo to self, Robbo. We should do great podcast. Uh, that's certainly a step up for us. Hey, I have, I have a question for you. Do you guys, do you, considering your success and what's happening, you probably get people who reach out to you saying, can you help us like give us some tips on launching a podcast, right? Or something along those lines. And there is some advice out there online where like, oh, don't worry about the microphone. Don't worry about a website. Don't worry about, just get started. Just get started. And I would say no. Like that's one area I would, I disagree. 
you should worry about the microphone. You should worry about sound quality. You should have a website set up. You should have these things before you get started. Now, don't let it paralyze you so that you don't take action. But also, let's be intentional about this. If we're going to do it, then let's do it. Let's not just go, ah, I'm just going to kind of wander into the pool. No, I'm going to dive in. I'm diving in the deep end. Let's go, and then we'll figure some things out. It's not going to be perfect. No way. But if there are simple things that can increase the quality, then we're going to take care of those simple things. Are we going to spend a little bit more money? Yeah. But either decide to invest or don't. Uh, I'm not really big on just kind of going half half speed at something. If, if we're going to do it, let's do it. See, there's one problem with that. We we have an audio engineer that works on this show by the name of Robbo. Um, been doing it for thirty odd years. Spent you know fifteen twenty thousand dollars on a studio, and we still sound like shit. <laughs> but that's the host. No, you know what? I appreciate we're we're we're, we're we are across the world right now. You know, we're we're on the opposite sides <laughs> of the planet, and it sounds like we're in the yeah. same room. You know, and that's a yeah, that's yeah. you guys. That's a yeah, credit to you. There's us and that other guy, the imposter guy, that imposter guy, he sits across the desk from us. Yeah. Hello, AP. Um, <laughs> there's two things that come to mind. Number one is I agree with you wholeheartedly, Ryan, and I get asked all the time for my, oh, I want to get into, I want to listen to podcasts. Who do I listen to? And I curate my list very, very intentionally. And I'm pleased to say that you are on that list. There's only probably five or six that I, put up on, the, on the, the board to show people. And there was some stat that only 18% of podcasts have actually put out a show in the last three months because people know that to be in that cream that rises to the top, it's, it's hard. It's hard work. You've got to put it in. And to your credit for 300-odd shows, to always deliver at a certain time on a certain day without fail, I don't know. To me, it just—it's it, the doing part, Ryan, that sums up all this conversation about holding yourself to a standard and putting rubber on the road. I completely agree. I think there's something to be said for consistency. It is really hard to be consistent and hold your standards high. You don't just release on Sunday at seven because because that's what you said. You release an excellent episode on Sunday at seven. Seven. One of the painful things about that. Though, and it probably has happened with for you, and it's it certainly happened for me, unfortunately, is every once in a while you record an episode and it's not good enough, whether it was my fault as the host or the guest's fault, and you have to have that painful conversation to say, I apologize, but I will not be releasing this episode because it's not to the level of excellence that I expect of myself. And I never want to waste the time of my listeners, so this one will just be sitting in the folder that uh, will never be released. And I hate it when that happens. I feel terrible and it's usually my fault. And, but it's a, it's a, it's a reminder to me. It's not just about the consistency, the combination of consistency plus excellent quality that is useful content that will make someone's life better is everything to me. It's everything when it comes to, that's why people are going to write you emails to say, this is life-changing. And that those types of notes for me are the fuel. That's the fuel to say the consistency combined with the quality will never go away. It is priority number one in my work life, right? Right after my family, priority one for me is excellent podcast quality. 
and uh, and consistency so that it's out there for everyone because I care. One, it's my favorite thing to do. What we're doing right now, having these long-form conversations where we can laugh a little bit, we can go deep in some areas, we can have a wide-ranging talk with a bunch of good listeners asking good questions and better follow-up questions. Man, that's as good as it gets. How cool was that? Like connecting with people like that and then knowing we're going to publish it with 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 your, your mindset though I'm going to publish willing to be judged cuz not everyone's going to love it but I have that willingness because I know it could potentially help people in addition to myself and I think that's a that's a really cool endeavor to be on and for me like I don't I don't know about you guys but I don't have any intentions to stop anytime soon I think it's I think it's just so much fun um and rewarding that that, that the, the intention is that we're going to keep going you know it's interesting just something you just said is you talked about having the conversation, listening to what's been said. I know curiosity is a, is a big part of your makeup. When you're actually in a conversation with somebody, whether it be your wife or AJ, your brother, or a guest on the show, what are you asking yourself? Whilst you are listening, what are you asking yourself? During a conversation on, on the podcast? On a podcast, or you're sitting in a, in a coffee shop having a beer with AJ or in, in the car with your wife. Or just in general? Yeah. What, so what, what, what am I asking myself? What, what do you mean by that? What am I asking myself? What's the dialogue in your own head when you are actually listening to somebody? I think first and foremost, I'm trying to listen to each word that they say. Um, and then I pick up on what's what I'm most curious about with their answer and we'll ask typically then a follow-up question based upon that. And this happens often, let's say I go on a lunch with, with somebody, a friend or a colleague, or I'm meeting somebody new for the first time. I mean, people are fascinating. People are messy. Uh, people have interesting lives. And I think I take it as, as usually a goal is to try to understand and get to know people better. And I'm very curious about people. If I, if I agree and choose to have lunch with you, I'm probably curious about you and your story and what you're about. So I'm going to ask questions to, to understand that better. And, uh, I, I, like I said, there's all like, everybody has, has, has fascinations in their life. And I, I try to uncover and understand thoughts and feelings of people, uh, specifically around moments in their life that I'll, that I'll try to get to. And that's why, as you guys know, doing a podcast makes you a better conversationalist that forces you to be a good listener, if you care, right? Forces you to be a good listener and uh, ask better questions and uh, just be a more thoughtful person. And you just, you just get a, I think it's healthy to have diversity of thought in your life. And if you're regularly recording with unique people from all over the world, you're going to get a, a, a good amount of diversity of thought, and that will make you a more interesting person in conversation as well. One thing that I wanted to hear from you is you've said that your ethos that you carry is we have never arrived, we're always becoming. What is Ryan Hawke wanting to become? What can you see? Well, uh, so I'll never become, um, uh, I mean, we, I'll never arrive, I, I guess from a becoming standpoint, the whole ethos behind that, that quote is regardless of any achievement or levels of success, uh, my 
kind of definition of happiness is progression, uh, is feeling like I'm moving forward. Uh, my, my coaches when I was younger said, you know, we're, we're either going to get better today or we're going to get worse. We're not going to stay the same. And I try to apply that thought process, that mantra to life uh, in general is am I, am I like aggressively pursuing growth today to get better, to be a more interesting person, to be a better husband, to be a better dad? And if I look back on a year from a year from now, if I look back, have I grown intellectually? Have I grown physically? Uh, am I better at what I care about most? And uh, I expect to be, and I'm going to try to put the systems in place in order to, to, to do so. And, and, and so for me, I think that never arrived mentality is certainly good things are going to happen, uh, but we're not going to rest on our laurels too much. If anything, I got I to gotta be pushed to celebrate, and I'll try to do that some and be better about celebrating when good things happen. But then it's always the fact that we just keep going, like you keep progressing forward. And part of it is because that's, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm working on things that are, that fascinate me the most. And so it's not, it's not crazy hard for me to want to keep going because what I'm working on are, are things that I really care about. And, and, and so for me, that's, that's really the mantra I try to live by. Something obviously, which you've cared about now for quite a number of years is putting this book together called Welcome to Management. The Ryan Munsey, who was on the, who's about to become a really good mate of the show through podcasts, which has been terrific. He does the Better Human Project show and is an author himself. And he said when he's talking to people on the show or speaking to other authors, he's always asking himself, what's the author trying to say with this book? So it's a bigger question. Once you go into the book, what's the author trying to say? With this new book, Welcome to Management, what were you trying to say? When I got my first promotion from individual contributor to a manager, um, I had no idea what that entailed. What I'm trying to say and the people I'm trying to help are the people who were exactly like me. I did a, a, a good bit of research leading up to publishing the book and writing the book. And I asked, uh, what was your training like during that transition from individual contributor to now you have direct reports, you have people reporting to you in the business world. And I got a variety of responses, but for the most part, most people had little to none. And that was my experience as well. And I was still lucky to have a great boss, but the the, the training was kind of trial by fire, figure it out. You're going to make mistakes. And my hope is to help others who are in that same situation, not make the same mistakes that I did. Um, and, and that's the whole purpose for it. So it is, it is targeted at that time in your life, in your career, whether you're preparing to, to go for a promotion, or maybe you just were, and you're, you're, you're struggling, or maybe you did two years ago, but you weren't properly trained that that's the specific person that I'm trying to help with this first book. Just to close this out, there's something which has been bugging me about the book and how your standard operating procedures is that I heard you say a number of times that you don't actually set goals because there's no way you could have seen five years ago the success of the podcast, your speaking, and now your book. So you're not one for goals. You tend to like things to unwind. 
My question is, though, in writing the book, you must have a picture or a dream or something in your mind that you want to achieve with that book, which is your reason to put it out into the world. There must be something you can see. Do you distinguish between goals and dreams or goals and actually seeing or visualizing what you want to happen. Do you see those things as different? Hmm. Well, look, I think all of us who publish a book would love to have the James Clear effect. Even James is, I think, surprised at what happened with the right. He sold he's, he's, <laughs> he sold 1.1 million books in 51 weeks, right? Most books sell under 300 copies. So so that's, that's the average. Um, so... I guess hopefully something in between those two. No, I, I think from from a metrics perspective, I, obviously I'd love that to happen. Um, that's that happens to less than one tenth of one percent of people who publish a book. Even great ideas don't always spread like that. Um, so while I would love that and to live on the bestseller list for a year, and I'm not, the main reason that I would love that though is because then I would see the sheer impact it's having. And, you know, one of the reasons why I think anyone who, who publishes work or makes art, one of the reasons that it's important to the artists or the publisher of that work, uh, that it, it, it resonates and it's helpful for people or entertains them is because they want to keep, they want to keep doing it. Right. And that is partially my, uh, motivation. In addition is I, I really, truly care about helping people use their power for good and becoming an excellent boss for the people they lead. I, I care deeply about that mission. I also want to keep doing this work because I love it. I love studying it. I think I've just scratched the surface. There's still so much more to learn. And in order to keep doing it, you do have to uh, have some success financially uh, to keep the business afloat. And fortunately, we started off very strong since I've been doing this for two years, and I want that to continue to happen. And the book is just another avenue to help make that happen. And 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 uh, that's why I'm excited about it because still, I don't know about Australia, but in the states, less than half the people in America have listened to a podcast, and certain less than a quarter of the people have listened to a podcast in the last week. But everyone in the world, or definitely everyone in America, understand what a book is. They might not have read one, but they understand what books are. So it's just another medium to help spread the message that to, to people that aren't as familiar with podcasts, which is still more people than you would think. Can I tell you, uh, we spent some time with James Clear at the end of last season down at Bondi Beach. There's one other thing that surprised James, oh, uh, which oh was goodness. the taste of Vegemite. Oh dear. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> <Okay>. Vegemite? <laughs> You haven't heard of it? Vegemite? Oh, my God. No. Vegemite is, is a famous Australian spread that we put on, like, toast and sandwiches and all that sort of stuff. Uh, a quiet there, can taste. Can I get this? Can I get taste. this here? You, you can probably – if you know what, yes, you probably could because there's plenty. Vegemite, V-E-G-E-M-I-T-E. We're happy little Vegemites as bright as bright can be. The, the look, the look on his face. I'm embarrassed. Oh, so you're saying I won't like it. Well, it's salty. It's it's salty. So here's the tip. Just on uh, looking at it, Americans like to put big slathers of stuff on. The tip with Vegemite is you just want to smear it on, just like a little smear. scraping smear. on your toast. Smear. A smear, right? Look, and I'm then looking it up try it. right now. It's an Australian institution. I have read the book, and if somebody said, 
what do you think? I would say it's very authentic. It's very, very informed. But the thing I that really occurred to me with the book, which is I think is fantastic, is it's very holistic. It comes at from a it comes at the whole management and leadership thing from lots of different angles. And I felt as though it was the a really well-informed summary for anybody who's moving at whatever level, at whatever stage they are. So I thought it was great. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's very, very informed. And it is typical of you and your podcast. It's very authentic. Where where would you send people to get more details, Ryan? Well, first of all, thank you for saying that. It means a lot to me. I care deeply about this work. Um, so so thank you for saying that. And 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 you're spreading the word will hopefully create opportunity for me to get down and see you guys. Uh, and I mean that, really want to do it. Um, and I, I plan to make that happen. Uh, learningleader.com is where everything is for me. Um, you can find everything from the podcast to the book, books titled Welcome to Management. But uh, everything is on learningleader.com. And if you want to get a hold of me on social media, uh, on Twitter, Instagram, at RyanHawk12. I think the word for this year for us, Robbo, is moxie. I just love that word, the moxie. On the mo- we had a couple of seasons ago, we had mana, and if somebody said you've got mana, it was the highest, the highest order, particularly with the Maoris in New Zealand. That was that was something you'd only dream of. Someone saying that guy or girl's got mana, but I think if we could get to the end of season seven and go, yeah, this show's got moxie, that'd be cool. Well, even if we could get to the end of season seven and say, hey, we've got listeners, that'd be good. Your, well, you got your mum and my mum. At least we got, we got two. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> As a quarterback, though, that was a good a good adjective to describe. He's got moxie and poise, right? Like those are some of the things that that were uh, were positive attributes playing the position of quarterback because it's it's tough. You get beat up a, little, a bit and you got to bounce back. And so uh, I, I, I was – always flattered if that word was ever used in association with my name when I was playing that position. I try to do the same and, and, and everything else off the field too. Okay. So from hearing, hearing how you used it, I got obviously got a general understanding of what it means, but I got to be honest, first time I've heard it, is there an actual meaning or is it like a slang term that just sort of fulfills that sort of meaning? I think, I think it would mean courageous, daring, uh, you're determined. I think that's that those would be uh, okay. Good uses, yeah. yeah. Nice word. I like it. That will go in the arsenal. It sounds cool. Z's or Z's, they sound cool. Yes, <laughs> I like it. No, I mean it was a big, big word. So if you if you see people describing quarterback play, it, it seems to come up there from time to time because it's like I said, it's tough. You gotta you get sacked. You gotta get up. You throw an interception. You gotta go out and keep throwing. You know, you gotta you gotta bounce back. Uh, it doesn't always go perfect. We're not all. You know, Patrick Mahomes, uh, as he was this past weekend. So it's 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 tough. Tom Brady, hmm, Giselle, um, mate. Thank you so much for coming back and bringing your moxie to our little program. It's just, <laughs> it's been such a number one, just good catching up. But number two, um, good luck with the book and well done on the show and everything you do. It's just awesome. Well, thank you guys. It means a lot to me and I appreciate you spreading the word. And uh, I hope to see you guys soon. Vegemite on Bondi Beach, done. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Thank you. Hey, I'm David Koska, international security expert and tactical trainer. After spending time on the Mojo Radio Show, I'll be filing my own report. To steal the name of a great Australian Prime Minister, Hawkey. Hawkey, I never thought about that. Hawkey. <laughs> Ties back to beer goggles. I wonder if he can scull a yard glass. <laughs> I don't know. And any good Prime Minister can. All right. Uh, what's next? What have we got? I've got something just quickly. The other week, you came to the table with uh, 
Taylor Swift, or Tay-Tay, as she's better known, and Right Said Fred doing a cover of his 80s hit I'm Too Sexy a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember that? Yep. Well, I want to up the ante just a little bit. Lola? I'm listening. Roll tape. Pop quiz. Any idea who that might be? To let you in on the little secret, it's two acts. Yeah, no. I got nothing. It sounds familiar. It sounds, it sounds, I don't know, it sounds heavy, heavy rock. Yeah. 80s? Yeah. Good. I don't know, but Good. I don't You're know who it is, now. Yeah, okay. Well, you, you've, you've, of halfway there, that's the Foo Fighters live in London back in 2017 with none other than Rick Astley doing his hit, Never Gonna Give You Up. And it just occurred to me when I was watching that, that like you talked about a couple of weeks ago, everything old can be made new again. I mean, if the Foo Fighters can release that and mix up something old with something new, I mean, you've got to believe if the Foo Fighters put that out as a single and there's been, I think, close to 700,000 views of that, you've got to believe if the Foo Fighters put that out as a single, people would go buy it even though it's an old Rick Astley song. So if, you, if the Foo Fighters and Rick Astley can do that, what can we do with our day, with our time management and all the other things that we could look at the way we do things and change? I, I just thought that was a, a nice little piece. I don't know that I would buy the Foo Fighters and Rick Astley. I think if you are live at a gig with your beer goggles on, anybody who walked on stage with Dave Grohl and rocked out I think would be God. Uh and I'm not sure of the lesson of rock, but it is interesting that Rick Astley is a vibe on Rick Astley this season. I'm hearing his name mentioned a lot. And the other person I've got to say that's old, that's new, which is insane, is Dolly Parton. I mean, Dolly Parton. Oh, really? Got three, what are you listening to? No, no. She has got three, three shows on Netflix right now and she's recording. She is on in magazines. It's just interesting. Somebody came to me and said, have you seen how much Dolly Parton there is around? Her story and what she's done and how she stayed current is, I mean, like her or hate her, I think inside all of us, everybody's got a little Dolly and uh, it's another Rick Astley. <laughs> so I think that I don't know there's a great lesson of rock in terms of applying it to our world, but there's a vibe now on the mashup, which is taking mm-hmm. the old, yep. blending it with the new and... That in itself is innovation. So I, I don't, yeah, but I don't know if I'd buy the other. The Mojo Radio Show. So I'll take, to take us out, I'll take you back a bit. Episode 233. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you who that was. <laughs> well, it was a guy called Jeff Nichols, and he's a former US Navy SEAL who's now oh, a world-class yeah. strength conditioning coach. He comes out to our country of Australia, and he's the guy who works with some of our biggest footy teams, um, helping them with exercise physiology and strength. And he specializes, today he specializes in tactical performance. If you want to get into the military or whatever, then he, you buy a program from him, he'll get you through it. But also if you're looking to, if you're a football team or a basketball team or a netball team and you want to improve your strength and stuff, then Jeff's the guy. And 
What was curious is that we asked him about the music that he goes to to get his mojo working. And I think he said he listens to things like Adele or Sam Smith. And we kind of went, <laughs> why, why would you do that? And the conversation went into in the teams, along with most other guys in the teams like Jocko, Willink, Leif Babin, Ray Cash Care, all these guys, Pat McNamara, they all train to get ready for the battle of life and they train with metal, like Black Sabbath, Metallica, ACDC. And Jeff said that when he used to wake up in the morning, his alarm clock would go off with Metallica on it and his girlfriend would roll over and go, uh-oh, Grimm's up. And he said, I was training myself to go to battle, to kill people. But today I play a more mellow, lyrically sound piece of music to chill me out. And it's really curious as you follow through the history of our show, people like Anna Devane of the Sleep Muse, and she said, this is the sort of track you want to use at nighttime as part of your wind-down ritual to get yourself ready for sleep. And it's the most beautiful and haunting piece of music. So music itself can set the tone. It can create a mood for your state, can create a mood for your thinking, and it actually changes your heart rate. So if my thinking is if you want to change the state, you consider your playlist. So you have a workout set with your metal, a thinking set, a wind down, maybe the last 10 minutes before you get home from work and you get to walk into your family or your partner or the first 10 minutes on your commute when you leave work, you have a, a leave work behind set or in the dressing room before the Withered Oaks play, you get a, a battle set or a sleep set that Anna has set a up A sleep for set us. before footy. <laughs> no, no, you have you have your battle set that when you get home to wind down from footy. Ah, gotcha. Yep, okay, yep. And this could be used to re- – this is interesting. This could be used to reinforce your identity. So you have an identity that you run on the footy field or as a, a partner, as a mum or a dad, as a leader at work, and you can, you can actually create a set list that could reinforce your identity because the, mu- the music can change your state and, and actually the science is it changes your heart rate. And that – Auditory cue could be something to help leave one state or enter a new one. And if you build these set tracks, then you could actually use those as a cue because identity has been a big thing on the show. And, of course, you always ask the guest about music and stuff. We've got a big library of that. So here's, here's the test. When you hear this piece of music, what do you think of and how do you feel? Lola, play Marley. So when you hear Bob Marley, where do you go? That takes me back to my days as a young teenager when I was first getting into music and my older cousin bought me a Bob Marley record for Christmas. So that takes me back to around summertime in Australia in the early 80s is where that takes me. So recently we celebrated Bob Marley's birthday. He was born in 1945 in St Anne's Parish. How, How did you celebrate? Did you roll something? Well, that's my next question is what is that smell? Because I'm thinking that AP is taking his back to his Marley times, man. But He hasn't stopped celebrating. But don't you think, don't you think it's amazing though that when I knew when you play Marley, I knew you'd say summer. Mm. And for most people it would be summer, mm. beach, chilled, lay back, corona, although now you got to get a virus, so Dos Equi. Uh but that's the vision we have, and that's the power, I think, of the music. That's what I love about music. And one thing I would say to people, 
Well, we're so strung out at the moment. Everybody is strung out. Five o'clock in the afternoon, when you leave work, get on the train, get on the bus, get in the car, stand when you're commuting, stand in the street, walk downstairs, just sit, put on some Marley and tell me <laughs> that that doesn't help you chill out. Mate, it would, absolutely. Totally would. I'll, I'll throw another one at you. Um, I've... I've started doing some video editing recently, just some little stuff for a few small businesses around here. It started through footy. I did one for a mate and he told a mate who had a business. So anyway, I'm doing some little YouTube videos for for people. And my time for doing that is about seven o'clock at night when the kids are in bed. And I have discovered, and you might even like this, Gary, I've discovered on Spotify this great playlist. It's called This Is Cafe Jazz Relax. And it's just really chilled out jazz. And when I'm doing video editing and I don't need to be auditory with what I'm doing, I stick that on. I find two things. I find it puts me in a really good frame of mind to be creative. And I find it does exactly what it says it will do. It just sort of relaxes me. I can feel my shoulders drop, the whole, all that sort of thing. So um, I, I think what you're saying absolutely is 100% spot on. And that's one of the many things I love about music. And if you tie that to the identity of not just being a guy who does a few jobs here and there, but if you create an identity around being an editor with the dream and the the, the standards you want to hold for yourself, with the identity you walk into, the music then reinforces that identity. And then to James Clear's point, Mm. who wrote Atomic Habits, the habits that follow that identity then come with it. And I just think that there's a really powerful music is that conduit between the identity you want stepping into that identity. And it's almost like uh, Todd Herman talked about in Alter Ego Effect, you have a totem. And I'm talking about a music totem as opposed to putting on a set of glasses where he becomes Richard. You could do the same thing because then you tie back to James's stuff and all the habits of being that editor then follow. I actually think this is really... Um, Really quite profound. Anyway, so nice. that's a thought. Well, how are you going to follow that with a song? <laughs> well, I have. So don't, don't tell me the name of the song. Tell me where you're taking me. I'm taking you to Jamaica, as you can smell in the studio mm. right now. I've actually, I could no longer see the console. <laughs> uh, but we're going to go out with Bob Marley and the Amazing Whalers. And this was in 1976. It's called Roots Rock and Reggae Man. We're out. AP, don't bogart that joint.
Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the basement of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. To help us get better and give more people the opportunity to touch up their mojo, you can now find us on Patreon. Follow the links on the front page of our website and for a coffee or two a month, you'll get regular bonus material and a copy of Explosive Hits 19, the best of The Mojo Radio Show. In the meantime... To polish your next audio production, check out voodoosound.com.au. For more about Gary, see garybirdwhistle.com. And to book me, go to andrewpeters.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>